In today's episode, Holly Baradale, drama teacher with a specialism in technical theatre, will be interviewing Open Drama UK's latest addition to their national team, their technical theatre advisor, Chris Tindall. Talking about what it is like to be a school theatre technician, the differences from industry, and answering your important guest questions. Ladies and gentlemen of the Open Drama UK company, this is your half hour call. Open Drama UK is proud to present a monthly podcast related to theatre and drama education by people in the know. Put your headphones on, grab a cup of tea and get ready. Hello Chris, thanks so much for joining us for the March episode of the Half Hour Call podcast. We're really excited to have you with us today and to talk about technical theatre, particularly obviously because March is our technical theatre theme and we've got lots of things going on throughout this month across all of our different platforms um, to support the wider community. So Chris, if you could just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself so that our listeners um, feel like they get to know you. Hi Holly, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Chris Tindall. I'm Technical Theatre Manager at Forest School in Walthamstow. This is my seventh academic year working in education and before I did that I was a freelance theatre technician, sound operator, production manager, uh, mainly touring around the UK with lots of different productions. Incredible. So you say that you've been working in education for seven years. And um, one of the questions that we've had in actually from one of our subscribers was to ask why you'd actually gone into education, left industry and gone into education. Uh, a couple of reasons, really. I had done about seven or eight years of pretty constant touring and I wanted to get off the road and have a more permanent settled down job. Um, so that was one reason. Second reason, I had worked with some young people before and enjoyed um, working with them on shows I'd, I've always loved technical theatre so I'd try to um, impart that love for it into new people um, another thing is I love to produce in a working a work to work in a producing environment so for me West End has no appeal go and work on the Lion King that's been sat there for 20 years or whatever in a school it might be a year two play it might be an exam piece or it might be a dance show but everything we do here we create in-house so we light it ourselves we build it ourselves um, we do the sound ourselves we do everything and i just like that producing environment where we create everything from scratch someone comes with an idea and that's where we start we don't work on other people's shows which i really enjoy i, I like the environment and the other thing is from a sort of production management technician point of view I personally don't actually have any enjoyment of performances um, because my the thing I like and the thing that I have the best skills at is going from here's the idea to opening night and actually just doing the performance night after night. For me, I can take or leave that really. I like to be in either fit up or tech or pre-production or something actually creating the thing rather than just doing it repeatedly. So that the process of the creation and then handing it over. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the good thing. Yeah. Um, and also like to see, which I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but when I sort of started education, being able to hand over to pupils to let them do it and see people who actually go, oh, actually, yeah, this is really good. I like this. That's that's a nice feeling. That can be quite a scary thing, actually, for a lot of teachers that don't have a technical theatre um, background or, or you know, the, the support around understanding it, the, the fear of saying, OK, well, off you go then. 
because you know if that lighting desk suddenly that what you've programmed into it doesn't work or the mic suddenly stops working you'll find a lot of um teachers will think oh I really don't want to hand that over I want to leave the music department dealing with the sound desk or leave you know the random science teacher who's worked out how to program the lighting desk do you find something like that in working in school environments you've been in uh, sort of. Um, when people have sort of suggested in the past, maybe that I should operate the shows. Um, so the way it works here is if we're doing a show that loads of people are involved in, they will operate. Sometimes if I'm working with the earlier years or it's a smaller show, I'll just do everything. Um, but my argument is when people say, shouldn't you just operate all the shows? Um, how many members of, of the PE staff play in the first 11? The answer is none, because the idea is to teach the pupils and then they do it. It's exactly the same thing. Working in the school isn't about us doing it. It's about teaching the pupils how to do it and then they do it. And almost when you're working on a school show, it's an almost consequence free environment. Now is the time to make your mistakes before you go to drama school, before you get a job in the theatre. Now is the time you can mess it up and it sort of doesn't really matter. This is the time to learn. So they should have the freedom and the trust to be able to operate those shows and to work on them. Absolutely. And, you know, learning through, they say about learning through failure or learning through by making those mistakes um, is is so important. I hate the phrase to say actually learn through failure, but, you know, by making a mistake or missing a cue or that's also allows them to understand the, the, the gravitas of why you cue and why you set things up and why you have a system so that, you know, it works. It, it really does. And I think sometimes as well, um, when pupils have made mistakes in shows and then we've had to have sometimes a severe word afterwards if people make mistakes because they don't know something or i haven't taught them something or something unexpected happens that's totally fine that's part of the education process what i don't tolerate is people making mistakes because they're not concentrating or they haven't written a note down or they haven't got their paperwork with them or something like that and i think for a lot of pupils possibly the first time where someone's turned around to them and gone no sorry that isn't good enough what you've done there you don't get a second go at it we don't get everyone back on stage and try again you didn't you didn't do the right thing at the right time you've made a mistake and now i'm going to talk to you about it it's not a case of oh don't, don't worry well you know it doesn't doesn't worry <laughs> you know it, it is important and i think that's a really important life lesson and do you find you have a slightly different relationship with the young people that you work with from the you know the the, the teaching staff Although you are a teach, although you are a teacher to them, do you find that you have a different um, relationship and dynamic with them? It's, it's totally different because, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a sort of strange thing to say, I guess, but just the fact that you're in with them on the evenings, on the weekends, and I mean, I'm probably a bit more relaxed around them than other teachers are, and and just the fact of when you're doing like working with senior and stuff, you are they will be holding something and you'll be climbing over the head putting a screw in or something and you just sort of get to know you get you have a completely different experience um and that's one of the things that i liked when i first got into doing technical theater at school which was you get to know the school and you get to know the staff in a completely different way because your relationship with them is completely different so mm. it's um yeah i think we have a i think we have a, a good relationship and it is very different open drama uk how does your relationship professionally work with the academic drama department? I know every school will be slightly different, but obviously your role is particularly niche. Not every school in the country is going to have a technical um, theatre manager working alongside a drama department. Um, so could you just explain a little bit, Chris, about how your role works? Uh, I think what, yeah, I think one thing I'd just like to clarify now is I 
don't actually i'm actually not part of the drama department that is one thing um so it's slightly different so the way it works here is i'm part of the co-curricular department i work with the drama department a lot but i also work with the prep school which is the junior school a lot and i work with the music department a lot and i work with the dance teachers a lot so the reason being our venue isn't used solely by, by drama it's a lecture hall it's for talks it's for speeches it's for presentations it's for music concerts so the example being obviously school plays you build the set light it all the rest of it but when it comes to sports day i also then set up a pa outside so that the PE department can make announcement about what races are happening who needs to be where and that comes under my remit because it's sort of i'm here to help anybody who's doing something in front of an audience that's the way i look at it if you need to communicate with an audience then i'm here to help you presumably you have your own budget and you kind of run as a complete separate entity yeah i do so i have a, a theater budget maintenance and repairs budget which is just for paint screws um, and then i have the capital expenditure budget which i have to pitch for every year budgets are given to each department who are doing shows and events and they can come to me and say okay we're doing the main production we've got x amount of money and this that's the show budget and then the way it works is i don't actually control that budget but if the director says to me i want to do this and i say well we can't afford to then so i don't control it but i sort of say well if you want me to build this stuff i'm going to need this much money and if you haven't got that much money we're going to have to think another way i bet there's a lot of teachers listening that would love to look at your job description and, and pitch for someone like you because there's a real strategic um, opportunity to, to have um, a person in a technical role that can support across subjects I think you know as kind of budgets have been depleted and staffing becomes more and more difficult um, there's a real value in kind of what you do and that's in the independent and, and the state sector that technical support across all of those art subjects sport um, I think is a is is a real merit I think I think so and if you I mean I feel supported here because I've been given budget budget for equipment which is one thing i've also been allowed to do cpd um and buy sort of equipment we need and stuff so you can help other departments for an example during the first lockdown um i spent a couple of days uh pat testing microscopes for the science department because that i had a pat tester and i've done my pat testing course they needed that to be done i didn't have any shows to do so i could just help them yeah those um, transferable skills yeah, and we've got a, um, at the moment, we've got an on-site COVID testing hub um, and the person was trying to plan it out just by drawing it out. I said, actually, we can do it, we can do it differently like that. And I, I used the software that I used to design scenery and we managed to do a 3D visualisation model and say, look, this is actually how it's going to look to scale with the right measurements. So I think if you work in a school environment, it's about making you, your skills and your equipment available to whoever needs it. It's not about saying, oh, actually, that's nothing to do with me. It's about saying, look, I can help you with this. Yeah, it's about the bigger picture, isn't it? And not feeling boxed and slightly pigeoned to one particular department. And I think the mindset of having you not necessarily part of the drama department probably helps with that. And I was actually, I was just going to touch on, I was going to ask you about your kind of your venue when it had to go dark um, when we had our lockdowns right now as we <laughs> sit in lockdown three. Um, and kind of, I know that you made a video um, and you, you kind of got, you kept yourself very busy. Um, so because we obviously have people that listen to us from theatre education as well, not, not just schools, um, it'd be really interesting if you could just sort of tell us a little bit about kind of what you did when your theatre went dark and how you, you kept going, kept yourself busy. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So I went to the school and said, look, um, 
what's going to happen with the theatre being shut? And they said, if you've got work you can do that's useful, you can still come in and you can still work. I mean, I'm lucky because I travel to work on foot, so I didn't have to travel on public transport or anything like that. And I said, I can keep myself isolated in the theatre, I can keep busy. And they said, that's fine. The only conditions they gave me were, um, don't spend any money that isn't in your budget. You're not going to be able to have anybody to help you because we can't have any visitors on site. So you can't have any contractors or freelancers, which is fine. Um, and they said, we want to see some results. You know, if you're going to come in when the schools are shut and the theatres are shut, you coming in and redoing your filing cabinet is not really going to cut it. You know, we get to want to see some improvements. So I decided to, in the first week before the Easter holidays, I just did the standard stuff and tidied up the dimmer room and tidied up the control room and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I decided to sort of go for it. So I had a load of uh, wood left over from the show floor. So I retopped the stage. Um, and then I painted the whole of downstairs. So I bought a paint sprayer and painted downstairs black. Um, then I sanded all the floor back and re-dyed it because it was a kind of a um, really heavily varnished. So I got a floor stripper and spent two weeks sanding all the floor. And then I sanded all that. Uh, then I painted upstairs um, and then I painted the lighting truss. Uh, then I did all the pat testing, the cleaning. I took my old office slash control room, dismantled that, um, changed, put that sort of made that into a bit of a follow spot camera position. I was actually really busy um so I was how nice though to have that time to do that um I'm just sat here thinking I'm so jealous <laughs> I've gone back in and my lighting rig's dusty cobwebs hanging off it and it all needs back testing no one's touched it I'm thinking I mean, oh if only I had Tyndall <laughs> I mean I hope it will prove to have been a unique opportunity and we never get that chance again um because I would obviously prefer if theatres were open and we were doing shows in front of people. Absolutely, um, yeah. But yeah, just just purely, purely from a venue point of view, being able to have that time to just crack on and get all those jobs done has been pretty amazing. And it's great as well that you've been in education for, you know, a good seven years, you said. So what you have done in that time, um, yes, you think of it from a venue perspective and from a technical perspective, you know, going dark and what can we do to maintain the venue? But you probably will have done things that you know will benefit exam pieces. You will have thought about setting up like a record, you know, as you said, setting up a camera so that you need to record things because, you know, that's part and parcel of kind of what happens with assessments. And I think if you probably hadn't had that longer period of time in education and you've been fairly new into it, you may have done things that's very industry focused and not necessarily thinking about the industry within education. So I think that's probably quite helpful as well. That is absolutely true. Because one thing I have learned in my time of working education is there's the way that we do things in the professional theatre and there's the way we do things in school theatre and they're not necessarily always the same and obviously there is crossover where you can bring in professional practice and stuff into school but sometimes the reason that schools don't do stuff the way we do in the professional business um is because it doesn't work yeah it doesn't. <laughs> so one of the, one of the first things I, I noticed was we did a music concert in my first term um and I'm sure as people listening know generally you do your get out or your pack up immediately after the end of the show in the professional world um so I was here till midnight packing up and I thought mm, well everyone else appears to have just gone home <laughs> uh, and I'm here, here on my own so I, I did it obviously and packed up and whatever and then after the next one I thought well I wonder what happens and it turns out what people 
like to do in schools is come in earlier the next day. They'd rather go home at half past nine and come in at half seven the next day. Whereas I'm used to working till two, three in the morning and then lying in in the morning. Um, but actually things like there's no one around to help you and hold doors for you and help you load trolleys and stuff. The site's all locked up. So if you take your music stands back to the music school, you can't get them back in. Actually, it's just easy to go, okay, I'm going to have to do it the school way because there's a reason why it works like this. So you can't fight the system. So it's, it's a bit of a learning experience when you, for me, when you come from one environment and get put into a different environment. That is, that's such an interesting point because I've never even thought about it. Obviously we've, we've talked previously and I'm a bit of a weird drama teacher because my background is technical theater. We've both done the same degree, Chris, as you know. Um, and because I'm a, I've always been a department of me, um, I'm not now, I have, a, I have a colleague, but because I've usually been on my own, I have done a get out straight away and I never, I've never thought about any differently, but now you've yeah. just said that, I'm thinking, oh yeah, but then I've obviously done that because of what my background is yeah, and yeah. haven't really thought about it. That's yeah, so funny. It's, it's just so what you do. Um, and yeah. Then, uh, what we do here sometimes if on the last night of the show is we'll have some drinks um, and food and whatever in the dining hall. Um, and oh, the after show party? Sort of an after show party. Uh, I have a bit of a rule with my pupils because working in theatre is great. It is really great, but it's not amazingly paid and you do have to work a lot of long hours. So the socialising and the party aspect are actually what kind of make it really good. Because otherwise, if you just do the work and don't have the fun, um, it it's, can be not amazing. So I have a bit of a sort of an unwritten rule with my six formers is that they want to go to the after show party. That's fine. You're allowed to either be hungover and on time or late and not hungover. <laughs> but that's only the ones that are 18, right? Correct. <laughs> You've touched on this already. So I think my question is probably null and void now because I can probably guess from the things you've already said. Other people listening might not have guessed yet, but what is your favourite technical role? Definitely production manager because I like to bring it all together and see it all coming together as one sort of finished piece I mean I've worked in pretty much every department in various roles on different shows and I like them all sort of person that says right that's important yes but we've also got to think about this at the same time we've got to bring the whole thing together um, and I also like to be somebody who say we're in the middle of a fifth up or something I like to be the person that actually knows the answers to the questions and that people come to and be that sort of contact point um, so I think a lot of the role of production manager is actually, I think of it as being a sort of a translator, especially in a school, because you've got to take something that a drama teacher says or a dance teacher or whatever, and translate that into technical speak, either for yourself or for someone who else is working on the show. And uh, I really enjoy doing that and trying to actually get out of people what they actually want, who may not have a technical background, who mm. they know what they want, but they sort of don't know how to ask for it. That's something that I've noticed with some drama teachers. And have you, have you ever worked with a drama teacher with a technical theatre background? No. No. I haven't. That's not something I've ever come across. Hmm. It's really, I find it fascinating, obviously, because I, I, I'm on the other side of that experience. Um, and uh, unlike you, um, I don't have a you. I am you at school, which is a bit weird. Um, so when you're talking about pack testing and kind of painting things, I think oh, I do that in my lunch hour or, you know, after school during a PDT. 
Um, so yes, it's making me it's making me very jealous that I have to uh, combine those jobs. But then also, you know, I have to think on the positive side that you know I, I have that that area of knowledge. Open drama UK. Um, so we've got a guest question, uh, which I'm just, just going to pull up because I'd like to kind of read it um, for her. So this is from um, Lizzie Nurse, who asks us, if you're looking to overhaul your lighting and sound equipment, probably installed back in the 80s, what would be your top tips on the basics to get and keeping budget in mind? What's the minimum setup which would give you a really flexible system and allow students to really learn about lighting and sound capabilities. Okay, uh, well, to start with, let's start with lighting. Um, I would say the biggest revolution that's happened in theatre lighting in the last few years is definitely what's happened to LED technology. Mm. I think now, especially in a school environment, um, LED technology is the way to go. Now, um, I will just explain, give a brief explainer for people who might not know the difference. Really, um, with LED technology, you have a light in with a color chip in there. So when you go LED, you don't need to buy different colors or different filters for the lights to have because you can just color mix with the chips that are in there. And it uses an LED light source rather than a traditional lamp, which would does burn out over time. An LED doesn't burn out. Um, they burn out after I think they say around 50,000 lamp hours if you run them at full which is quite a long time so if you were to say have a drum studio and put up 10 generic lights so the old tungsten lights and you put say some warm gel in them to give you a nice warm general color in six months time those lights the lamps would have burnt out the color would have burnt out you'd need to change the lamps you'd probably have to clean them um, and you would suddenly have a rig that doesn't work if you go LED you don't change the lamps uh, you've got different colour mixing opportunities. So with four lights, for example, you can create loads of different colours and loads of different looks with those four lights. So Am I right in thinking as well there that you wouldn't need to obviously be buying gel frames and putting gels in and then during shows you're not going to have to be going up and or you know making pl plot decisions around positioning of lights, particular colours, because obviously the LED gives you the flexibility to do that. Exactly that. Exactly that. So it's it's just so much more flexible. There's no maintenance. And the other really great thing about LED is it's so um, it's not power hungry. You don't need to have production power in a room. Uh, a few years ago, our one of our power racks in the drama studio stopped working a couple of days before the um, drama exams because it's LED. Uh, you can run the whole lighting rig off one domestic 13 amp socket. So if you go into a drama studio and it's a 13 amp socket, I can light you a show with LED moving lights or whatever, because now they don't need that much power to work. So you can just go into a room, hang them, done. You don't need to be paying for specialist production power and stuff to be put in. And can you can you only get LED on 13 amps? If you've got a 50, if you've got internally wired bars on 15 amp, can you run LED off? Uh, it depends how they work. So what we've got in our studio is we've got IWBs with 15 amp sockets on them. And then you just take the plug at the wall out from the IWB and plug it in. So the LEDs need what we call hot power, which is constant power. So if you think like your fridge or your TV has constant power. So you just need to find a way to get constant power up to the rig. But um, the, th the thing with LED is it, it is a big, um, it's quite a large expense to start with. But the initial outlay. The initial outlay is there because you need to get a control system to run it as well. Having said that, 
it won't really go wrong and it won't break um, and there's no really serviceable parts or consumables so you've got the first you've got the cost of that and secondly if you're a drama teacher without any technical support you maybe haven't got time to order the right gel you might not know what is the right gel you need and then cut it and then get a ladder and go up there and change it you don't need to do any of that because it's not going to change because it's led um mm. so it's really i would say that's probably been the biggest step forward especially for school drama um and i would recommend anybody to go down that route at the moment the other thing they did um which is i say they're sort of the lighting industry which has been really good is when they first came out leds used to dim down dim down dim down and then snap off and now they fix that so now they dim down nicely and you can get nice colors out of them and you can recreate theatrical colors so um, oh that's nice so it actually with leds it gives students an opportunity to experiment a little bit more and the the health and safety issues of needing to go up and down a ladder to to learn to change gels and do all of that kind of although obviously you could de-rig and, and do that on the floor i realize but that's kind of removed because students can can do that electronically exactly and when it comes to doing your gcse drama device pieces you will have plenty of chances to go to a full red wash yeah <laughs> Absolutely, when that murder scene's going to happen, you're, you're learning about semiotics. Um, so what's the cost roughly? Say say a school wants to just get one bar with, with four LED lights on it. How much would that cost a school roughly? Do you know? Uh, it sort of depends. I would say um, the thing, the old adage about buying cheap and buying twice is really true. If you're going to buy LEDs, buy what I consider to be proper ones from a reputable company, with a UK service contract. So if it breaks, they can send you a new one. Um, I would say you're looking, at, you're looking at a few thousand pounds plus a control system to go with it. Um, but I think in ease and flexibility, people will be amazed what you could actually achieve. Um, and the, the learning thing, opportunity. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. what it comes down to because that's now industry standard equipment. I tend to only buy industry standard equipment because if I have any pupils that go into the industry they already know they're already confident on the lighting desk and things like that so they because they're using it already the other thing to say is say you say okay we've only got I don't know two thousand pounds or something okay well you don't have to put on a massive lighting rig the first year you can just build up mm. and that's why it's a good idea to buy proper units from a reputable company from a well-known brand because then you can just always get them and you can just buy more and then you can add as you go i mean i didn't go completely led here to start with it's over the years i've sort of tackled a bit of the lighting rig at the time to build up to the point now um so i'd say anyone who's interested should be look, going down that route um, and what about with sound uh the number one thing to do with sound is to buy qlab um for those who don't know qlab is a system where you can put your sound effects in order and you can set the levels and you can set fade times um, so that they all happen at the press of a go button. So it gives you your sound cue sheet and it means that not only um, is it easier to run the show because you run for a go button, but it means that it's absolutely accurate because you set a level on the sound desk, which is QLab is plugged into, and then change the levels in QLab so it's not you going, ah, that failure was too high or too low in that scene. You just turn it all on. And because it's done at the computer level, then it's always going to be right. So if, say, someone's doing a scene change, they need 45 seconds of music or, say, say 43 and a half seconds of music, they're always going to have the cut at exactly the same time because you're not manually doing it. 
So the programming time is longer, but the results are much better. Um, the only, there's a few, there's the one major downside with QLab is it only works on Mac. So you would need a Mac of some description. Um, however, the free version of the software is really good. You can still do a lot with the free version. Um, there's some stuff you can't do, but if you're just doing sort of simple effects playback, you should be fine. Um, and they actually have an amazing system where if you're doing a show and say you've got the free version, you need to, it to be upgraded to the professional version, but you don't want to pay for it because you might not need it forever. They do a weekly license hire and a daily license hire. So say you're doing your GCSE or A-level week, you could just hire the pro version for a week or two weeks, and then you wouldn't be paid for it. So that's, are, that's a really good top tip. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. I think it's I think it's sort of like three dollars a day to have it, or you can buy it for two hundred dollars or something. It's you know, it's um, there are options there. And with it being Apple, presumably if you're a school that's um, you know an iPad school, if there must be an app or a version that you could probably use on an iPad, which would allow maybe whole class teaching with it potentially. Uh, yes, I mean I've not actually the thing I've used on the iPad and the and the iPhone the most is the remote system. So you can have a remote um, for it. Um, and that's really good because then you can, it's also good because you can use it as a screen so you can see what's going on without hanging over the operator arm and looking behind them. You can actually just have your phone as like an external screen. So the other thing to remember is if you're not doing massively complicated, you don't need to do that to run QLab. You could even get a reconditioned Mac mini or something like that for actually not that much money. Um, you need to have some power behind it. But if you're just doing a bit of background music and a few doorbells or whatever, you don't need to be spending hundreds of thousands on a setup. If anyone wants to talk more detail about that, please get in touch because I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. Yeah, that's um, that's actually a really nice uh, link there to just mention about your role with Open Drama UK, Chris, and how we've got our hashtag going now, Tech with Tyndall, the support that you're going to provide for our kind of our subscribers and those that, that follow us and engage with us. For those of you that don't know, we, we have a YouTube channel and on our YouTube channel, we host lots of different videos. Currently, we've got a playlist on there for early career teachers. But through the month of March, we are sharing um, video clips and resources and information that's been um, co-branded between Open Drama UK and We Teach Drama. Um, which is sharing lots of different things around technical theatre um, just for that month only. But then we keep Chris as our ongoing resource, as our, our technical theatre advisor. Um, and, and we've talked about this, Chris, but I think it'd be a really nice opportunity to just do it as part of this podcast and then kind of roll it out as a kind of poll for people um, about what kind of support we think people might, well, we, we can discuss what, what kind of support we think people might need, but of course, being technically minded and having a technical background, we could be wildly off the mark. Um, you mentioned um, a couple of suggestions when we've talked previously about sort of helping people to learn how to set up Steel Deck. Um, I suggested around comms and setting up um, a CAN system and kind of daisy chaining for that. Um, do you have any other ideas, Chris, that you think might be useful for people to be able to watch and then? Um, you know, set up in their working and teaching environments? There's a few things we should do. Uh, there's one thing I think which it might sound a bit left field, but it might actually help, which is um, it, we could do basic fault finding. So you walk into the drama studio, the lights don't work. Why? Because actually, if it's a situation where, say, all the lights don't work, it's going to be something simple like the dimmers are turned off. But if you don't know where your dimmers are or you're not that familiar with theatre wiring, then uh, you won't know. Uh, and it's just working out sort of if you 
say you send the theatre technician into a venue and one light doesn't work, they'll probably think it's something. And if all the lights don't work, it's probably something else. So it's it's just understanding that. So but I'm happy to do whatever. If people want to talk through a basic sound system or a lighting system, or I'm basically here with the venue uh, and I love talking about technical theatre. So, and I love helping people. So, I mean, I'm be guided by the people who are subscribers really. That's great. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning about wanting to go into education to help young people. And ultimately, by, by going out and supporting those people that engage with us, that's even more young people that are going to benefit from, from your knowledge, um, which is obviously a fantastic thing. As we've kind of alluded to earlier, I think technical theatre is, a, is I think scary is the wrong word, but it, it is the, the kind of the least understood aspect of the, the drama curriculum. But yet there are so many teachers out there that absolutely adore it and really value it and see its complete worth within performance and also uh, as a way of inspiring and engaging some young people who might not be interested in your kind of your traditional approaches to drama. So I think um, putting out a poll with kind of some of these suggestions like basic fault finding, setting up steel deck, running a can system, setting up a mic. I think it'd be really handy to kind of see what kind of votes we get and then we can we can set about recording some of that. I'm completely at their disposal. So <laughs> you might regret that. <laughs> Got I all might. these drama teachers sat there thinking, right, I want a video on. Well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. keep keep me busy. Open drama UK um, what's that? Because we'll um, completely deplete you and you'll be completely worn out because you'll be 24 hours a day filming footage for all, all these drama teachers around the country that want your help. Is there anyone that you would suggest people follow or like either on social media or particular websites maybe that people go and look at? Are there any, any people that stand out in your mind or companies, in fact, not necessarily individuals that we could steer people to? to there's a few. Um, there's one that people might not be aware of. Um, there's actually a group called the School Theatre Support Group, which is mainly for technical sort of um, managers and venue managers, but they do put out some good stuff. The membership is, I think it's about £7 a year. So it's really worthwhile being a member because they do technical training courses. And very often we've got a kind of a group email and some people will come in and say, I'm a dance teacher. I don't know anything about technical. Why don't two of my lights work? And then people just go, oh, give us a call. We can help you. Lighting-wise, at the moment, I would say uh, there's a light designer called Ben Cracknell, who's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I would say at the moment, he is definitely worth following because throughout the lockdown, he has been consistently working and doing shows. So he's actually putting out really lovely production photos at the moment um, and has uh, he lit the London Palladium Panto. Unfortunately, it had to shut. It had to close, but he still lit it and it looked nice. And he's done some stuff at um, Leicester Curve. So I say he's definitely worth a follow. That would be really nice as well for for young people to look up and, and research some people that are obviously current and still working. To say the uh, Association of Lighting Designers, the ALD, have got some really good online resources at the moment for people who are interested in getting into lighting. March the 8th when we it's going to be important for two dates one we return to school but also it's International Women's Day Chris obviously you are speaking to a woman <laughs> who had a technical theatre background I didn't see very many women when I um when I started off doing technical theatre things but are there any um in light of International um Women's Day are there any particular um women in lighting sound set costume that you would um steer colleagues to to go and have a look at uh, interesting point. I was going to say, um, I don't think we can talk about 
uh, female lighting designers, but I think the truth is we can't talk about lighting designers without talking about Paulie Constable, who is absolutely amazing. Her work is beautiful. If you Google her name, she's done loads of absolutely amazing stuff. Interestingly, when I started my career at the Even Arno in Guildford, the technical manager there is a woman, and she is amazing, a powerhouse of the theatre industry, and has set off so many people on amazing careers that um, I think she deserves a mention. So just would like to say hello to Lisa at the Arno, um, because she is an amazing person. And really, I know so many people who have started off there, and she has taught people the kind of the old-fashioned way of doing things and the right way of doing things. Uh, and I think that should be um, acknowledged. Oh, thank you. That's that's a really lovely thing to say. Is she still there now? She's still working? Yeah, she's still there. Oh, brilliant. And how many years have we going back that she kind of got your interest and hooked you in and sent you off? I started working there when I was a student in 2004. Oh, wow. Um, okay. She's, she's been there uh, quite a long time. Wow. So she sent a few people for um, a long wait and the, to go and get the tartan paint, no doubt. All, all, all that sort of stuff. And then <laughs> she's great, and also great fun to have around as well, to be around. Um, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of things that I think people like that have been into a long time can teach you without really teaching you just how to be in the environment. Which I think it's, really yeah, it's just sometimes being in their presence, isn't it? Yeah. And those things that they don't even she probably doesn't even realise the inspiration that she has been. Yeah. Because and she's I've, just done it. And I think one of those lessons which I've, that she's taught me, which I've tried to teach my pupils, which is a really hard thing to learn. And I don't think anyone knows when they've learned it, but is sometimes it's like having a laugh mucking around time. And now we're working and you need to be able to switch. And that's the, that's the thing that I think young people struggle with just because of their age. They can't, they don't always know, okay, now it's concentrating time. And, Where's the line? Yeah. And now you can relax. Everyone, everyone relax. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of, it's, you have to find it your own way so yeah and theatre does teach that in so many different ways even things like when when you're on cans and people are having a chat and then you have to you have to call it and say stop you know right. quiet on cans yeah, yeah exactly but that you know there's so much wider learning within um th those aspects of drama that and theatre that you know are, are often overlooked even by those of us within it because we take it for granted because we, we just do it innately yeah, yeah exactly um, so I think that brings us to a, a nice conclusion, but I want to get in with my last question. <laughs> I've asked other people's questions, but I've got to get my own one in here because uh, it, it's something I always think about when I teach. It's always interesting because people assume that when you when you love a play or when you teach a play, um, it's because you've seen it performed um, in such a way that you've been inspired by it. Or the one it's always people when they ask you, did you enjoy the play or whatever it is you've been to see? It's because they expect you to have liked the acting. But what's the best play you've ever seen technically? And that could be in terms of the design or in terms of the way that the, you know, that the show has been programmed and has, has literally come together. My favourite show was actually a show that came through a couple of venues while I was working. And it was a touring production of The Hand of the Baskervilles. Now, I'm a massive Sherlock Holmes fan anyway, so I was interested in the show. But what they had was a huge screen uh, with loads of projection and so there's all this amazing projection and the people were interacting with the projector where projection hadn't exploded in the way it has now it was kind of new um, and what was really clever was the way they had a projector which was running through a media server which was then connected I presume via MIDI to the lighting desk which is then running through the sound and it was all just brought together through one control system 
That sounds incredible. And it's it's so interesting when you say that wasn't a big thing at the time, you know. Um, there's so many, there's so many things like that, isn't there? Technology has moved on. And I, I think it's really important the point you made about um how you are getting students ready for industry. Um, it's been a long time since I was actually working in a theatre environment. Um, you know, I was a stage manager, so calling a show won't have changed a lot, but nevertheless, the actual env environment and understanding the equipment that's being used, you know, that, that does move on rapidly. Um, and kind of en engrossing yourself um, and making yourself aware of kind of the latest developments with, with theatre and, and equipment and what you can buy and, and different suppliers and all of that. That's, that's a job in itself, really, isn't it? Just researching and keeping on top of those things. It, it is quite difficult. I mean, I before the pandemic, obviously, I tried to go and do a bit of freelancing in the holidays and stuff at other venues just to try and keep one toe in and just see what people are up to and important to try and keep an eye on what's happening. Because if I stay in education for the next 25 years, I could be teaching people stuff that went out of date years ago. And it's so I try and keep a handle on what's going on, which is, I think, important for everybody. And I think that's a that's a really nice note to end on, Chris. Um, thank you for for doing this podcast with me today, and also thank you for moving forward with Open Drama as our technical theatre advisor, because I think your insight and your support is just going to make sure that we continue to improve, benefit, and advance drama for the teachers and and consequently those young people um, who hopefully will be the next generation of people working in our theatre industry. Let's hope so. For listening make sure you subscribe so you don't forget to join us next month for more content conversations and cpd in the meantime have a look at our website follow like and tag us on all social media platforms until next month 